Hi, everyone, and welcome once again. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas, and welcome to our Midweek Bible Study 2022 Fall Edition. It is a great joy to be with you today on this Wednesday, November 23rd. Today, we're continuing in our study of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to talk about the church's repentance. And the text we're going to be using is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 2 all the way to verse 16. Got a lot to share with you today. But before I do, would you join me in an opening word of prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you for the incredible honor we have to gather once again in your name, to study with you, to hear from you, looking at your word, teaching us these valuable lessons. Lord, help us learn from the church in Corinth about repentance today and how that can apply to our lives as well. We thank you for all of this in the mighty, saving great, incredible, phenomenal, and most amazing name that there is, the name above every other name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone said, amen. Let me begin with an overview of what we're going to be talking about today, just to kind of give you an idea where we're going. It starts with Paul urging the Corinthians to make room in their hearts for him and his co-workers for the gospel. Then he describes the great affliction that they were under. Paul had written a severe rebuke to the Corinthian church that Titus delivered. Then he returned to Paul and reported that the church responded with sadness and repentance, which brought Paul great joy. Titus also expressed affection for the Corinthians after seeing their obedience and humility. Paul then concludes by declaring his complete confidence in the Corinthians, though he will discuss other difficult issues in the coming chapters. So, with that in mind, let's open up our Bibles or Bible apps to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 16, 2 Corinthians 7, verses 2 through 16, and let's break those verses down. Here we go. Please open your hearts to us. We have not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taking advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts, and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you, and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy, despite all our troubles. When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction, with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy, but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. Then he told us how much you longed to see me, and how sorry you are for what happened, and how loyal you are to me. I was filled with joy. I am not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you've done everything necessary to make things right. My purpose, then, was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this, 
in addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. I told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. Isn't that outstanding? Let's unpack this passage. Look at verses two through four. It says, please open your hearts to us. We've not done wrong to anyone, nor led anyone astray, nor taken advantage of anyone. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I said before that you are in our hearts and we live or die together with you. I have the highest confidence in you and I take great pride in you. You have greatly encouraged me and made me happy despite all our troubles. So in these verses, Paul repeats his plea to the Corinthians to open their hearts to him and his co-workers. This appeal is coupled with three specific denials by Paul. What are those denials? And why do you think Paul responded in that way? Most likely, Paul is responding to accusations that the Corinthians had been repeating. We've been talking about that now for several weeks. His point was that not one person among the Corinthians had been wronged, led astray, or taken advantage of by them. All three words are translations of Greek words that were commonly used for deceitful and exploitative financial dealings. As such, Paul's critics may have been criticizing the collection for the Jerusalem church, which we're going to talk about next week. So why then would Paul say in verse 3 that he's not writing this to condemn the Corinthians? What's that all about? He repeats again that they are still in his heart. He still loves them. He still feels great affection for them. He still considers himself to belong with them. He is ready, in fact, to live or die with them. In other words, Paul is not rejecting the Corinthians for their partial rejection of him. He wants to be reunited with them in mutual affection. And even though Paul had recently faced many troubles, knowing that the Corinthians were maturing in the faith gave him incredibly great encouragement. It really made him happy. Let's look at verses 5 through 7. They say, When we arrived in Macedonia, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. But God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us by the arrival of Titus. His presence was a joy but so was the news he brought of the encouragement he received from you. When he told us how much you longed to see me and how sorry you are for what happened and how loyal you are to me, I was filled with joy. Here's the question. In these verses, Paul appears to change focus in his dialogue with Corinthians. Could this be a continuation from 2 Corinthians 2.13? Hint, hint. If so, can you explain what happened up to this point? This is definitely a continuation from 2 Corinthians 13. Remember, back on October 4th, we were studying 2 Corinthians 2.13. If you haven't heard that study, please go back and take a look at it. It's the one from October 4th. It'll give you a little bit more background. I said to you at that point that Paul suddenly breaks off the story of why he delayed so long in returning to Corinth. And from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, all the way to chapter 7, verse 4, where we are today, he describes what a servant of God looks like and of the hope that he has in Christ. But now Paul picks up the story from 2 Corinthians 2.13. And interestingly enough, if you go back, and I would encourage you to do that, go back to 2 Corinthians 
and just start again. When you get to the end of that verse, go directly to 2 Corinthians 7, 5. It is a seamless transition. Now, the sequence of events that brings it to this point was this. Paul's last visit with the Corinthians had been a painful one. Apparently, an influential man had been guilty of sin. After leaving them, Paul had written a difficult letter instructing them to hold this man accountable for his sin. Would they choose Paul or this sinful man? Paul didn't want to return to see them until he heard how things went, so he sent Titus with that letter. And as we previously discussed, the text of that message was not preserved. So then Paul arranges to meet Titus in Troas with Corinthians' response. But when Paul arrives in Troas, Titus isn't there. So Paul moved on to Macedonia to wait for him. Now in these verses, Paul is beginning to describe his great relief and joy at what he finally did hear from Titus about the Corinthians' response to his letter. He was comforted because they had chosen to do what was right. Okay, so that's great. And based on these verses, were the Corinthians truly sorry about that incident that occurred back then? Well, according to Titus' report, they were indeed truly sorry and wanted to reaffirm their commitment to Paul and let him know of their love for him. They were even looking forward to his next visit. Well, then, do you think this news encouraged Paul? Well, we've already talked about it several times. Absolutely, it did. After a rocky period between Paul and the Corinthians, the church was correcting some of the problems that had arisen in the congregation, and they would be ready to receive him once again in a visit. That had to be incredibly encouraging. Next up, let's look at verses 8 and 9. I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have, so you were not harmed by us in any way. The question is, was Paul sorry or not that he wrote that severe letter to the Corinthians? Can you explain? When you read verse 8, it sounds a little confusing, doesn't it? Paul regretted having to write such a difficult letter about the sin that was going on in the Corinthian church, but did not regret it because it led to repentance. That can be a little confusing. You've probably had this experience in your own lives. I know I have. You see someone who's in sin. It's a time when they need to be confronted about what they're doing. You regret having to speak to the person in that way, but you don't regret it because those words needed to be said, and you're doing what God has called you to do to love that person's soul. This is the pull that Paul's experiencing. He felt badly to have written that letter, but it needed to be done because repentance was needed. Now that he sees the fruit of repentance from the Corinthians, he's rejoicing and this repentance has removed any regret that he had. Next up, verse 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow which lacks repentance results in spiritual death. The question is, what does true repentance look like? You know, many people are sorry only for the effects of their sin, or they're sorry for just being caught, which means they're not really sorry at all. In the original Greek, sorrow which lacks repentance, that phrase there, literally means the sorrow of the world. When people don't channel their sorrow over their behavior into life-changing actions, it's unproductive. It leads to self-pity. But godly sorrow is practical and it's action-oriented. When a person realizes what he or she has done wrong, that person should not only regret the error, but also turn back to God. 
Only God can empower people to change their ways. Only God can save people from the way sin imprisons and paralyzes them. Only God can lead us away from sin and seek salvation, as the verses say. Compare the stories of Peter and Judas. Both handled the events surrounding Jesus' death in the wrong way. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. Both were overcome with grief over their actions. Although Peter was distraught, he had the humility and courage to admit his failure, reform his behavior, and rededicate his life to Jesus' cause. You can check that out in John 21, verses 15 to 19. In contrast, Judas let his remorse eat away at his soul. Eventually, he was so overcome by guilt, he committed suicide. He wasn't able to learn from his sin and repent. He didn't submit his sins to Christ and beg to be forgiven. He was too proud to cry out for salvation, so his stubbornness led to death. Folks, that's a clear message for all of us. I think sometimes the five hardest words in the English language are, can I talk to you? When you've got an issue of sin, don't hide it. Don't keep it inside. It's not going to work itself out. It's not going to go away. And it will eat at your soul. Talk to a trusted friend, someone at church, perhaps, your pastor, your spouse. Mostly, talk to God. He can truly forgive you for that. Just give him the chance. All right, next up, verse 11. It reads, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you, such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, such a readiness to punish wrong. You showed that you've done everything necessary to make things right. Here's the question. The Corinthians clearly experienced godly sorrow. What did it produce? Titus' encouraging report from Corinth gave Paul evidence that the Corinthians had responded appropriately to his letter. And that evidence was godly sorrow, do you see that? Which produced earnestness and a concern to clear themselves. Titus then explained the Corinthians' reaction to Paul's letter step by step, and Paul listed those steps right here, approving each one. So what were the steps that Paul wrote? Well, the first step that letter had inspired was appropriate indignation. That's a fancy word. In other words, displeasure about what had been happening among them. Next, he brings up alarm. Do you see that? Perhaps the Corinthians were fearful of God's divine judgment or maybe Paul's discipline. Next was their intense longing and great zeal, great excitement, great energy to restore their damaged relationship with Paul. And that led them to prompt action to punish the wrongdoer. Paul praised them in glowing terms. Their zeal, their excitement to make things right was exactly the kind of behavior God's holy people should exhibit. Again, tremendous application for us today as well. Next up, verses 12 and 13. My purpose then was not to write about who did the wrong or who was wronged. I wrote to you so that in the sight of God, you could see for yourselves how loyal you are to us. We have been greatly encouraged by this. In addition to our own encouragement, we are especially delighted to see how happy Titus was about the way all of you welcomed him and set his mind at ease. Here's the question. Here Paul clarifies his reason for writing that severe letter. What is it? In a nutshell, Paul's reason was to save the deteriorating relationship between himself and the Corinthians. Although the Corinthians knew who did the wrong and who was wronged, 
Paul was very discreet, did not mention names because more than likely he knew his letter was going to be circulated in all the churches in southern Greece. Since Paul was instructing the Corinthians to restore this man to Christian fellowship, Paul didn't want his name to be unnecessarily despised. Paul's express purpose was to further the cause of the gospel in Corinth. That is always his ultimate goal, to spread the gospel. But Paul always worked hard to keep his name out of it so that all things pointed to Christ. So the Corinthians' positive and appropriate reaction to Paul's letter encouraged him. We've heard about that. We've talked about that. But he was encouraged by something else in verse 13. What was it? Paul was encouraged at the way the Corinthians had welcomed Titus. Titus had taken on the challenge of delivering that severe disciplinary letter. But no one, not even Paul, knew how it was going to be received. But even though the church was in turmoil, they welcomed Titus and his message. That's the key. And now the final verses for today. Let's look at verses 14 to 16. I had told him how proud I was of you, and you didn't disappoint me. I have always told you the truth, and now my boasting to Titus has also proved true. Now he cares for you more than ever when he remembers the way all of you obeyed him and welcomed him with such fear and deep respect. I am very happy now because I have complete confidence in you. Here's the question. In a word, how was Paul feeling about the Corinthians? Here's a hint. Look at verse 14. Now, even though the Corinthians had caused Paul so much pain and sorrow, he was, here's the word, do you have it? He was proud of them. Do you see that? He refused to focus on their weaknesses and failures, and instead, he praised their strengths. Now, in verse 15, Paul says Titus had grown to really care for the Corinthians. Why? It's not just that the Corinthians were nice to him or made him feel welcome. Titus was impressed by their choice to obey God by obeying Paul's instructions to them to discipline the man who was opposing Paul's Christ-appointed ministry. In addition to that obedience, Titus was impressed with their attitude. They showed great respect to him as a representative of Paul, who was a representative of Christ. Paul writes that they received Titus with fear and great respect, fear and trembling, as some of your translations will say, meaning that they recognized he came with Christ's authority. That demonstration of humility caused Titus to have great affection for them. Amen to that. Well, folks, we've come to the end of today's study. We've been talking about a very important subject, repentance. In particular, the church in Corinth's repentance. The Corinthians' response to being rebuked for their response to a troublemaker is a model for all of us, for all believers, about how to turn from sin when we recognize it. Deep sadness is a very appropriate starting place. Our sin often comes with devastating consequences, including the breaking of relationships with people we care about. That sadness led the Corinthians to repent, to turn away from the sin by quickly and eagerly making things right. They began to obey instead of disobey, and they did so with a sense of humility and fearful respect for their powerful God. Paul, too, serves as a model for believers. He shows the need to sometimes engage in difficult and awkward confrontation with someone we care about over their sin. He also shows how to respond with praise, rejoicing, and renewed confidence when the person repents. There's a lot of information there that I hope that you're able to use in your own life. I know I surely have 
and will continue to do. I hope you've enjoyed this study today. It's been challenging for sure. Talking about repentance is never easy because that indicates that there is sin. I'm proud of you for listening today. Thanks for being with us. Next time, we're going to be studying 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 15, and we're going to be talking about a call to generous giving. I believe we're going to be talking about the Jerusalem offering as well. We'll find out more about that. Thanks again for being with me. It's always a joy to share with you this Thursday. Tomorrow is Thanksgiving. I hope each and every one of you have an amazing day. May the Lord be with you. May you have a truly special day, a time of remembering, of being thankful, just as we've been talking about in this study today. Have an amazing rest of your day and week. I'll see you right back here next time. Until then, God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.